so it's quite appropriate that uh, we heard about Vietnam, and I would hope that we would continue to do that as people go from Redeemer Life to different parts of the world. And I would like for us to be talking about praising God for what He is doing in our vocation right here, you know, whether in Vernon Hills or Granger or um, whatever company you're involved with. What is God doing in your life? How is Christ working through your life in your vocation here, our Jerusalem, our Judea? How is Christ working through you in our Samaria? Perhaps the south side of Chicago or, or Chinatown. There are, uh, in, the, in the fall, we will be coming up with programs where we will be going to Little Village and to Chinatown and, and to the south side to see what God is doing in our Samaria, uh, what God is doing in the ends of the earth, and then people will come back and and share about stuff that's going on. And Friday you have an opportunity to, to listen to what God is doing through our missionaries, through Julio and Katie Isasa uh, in Medellin. Uh, very often when people talk about Medellin, all they think about is the drug lords. And, and, and the sad thing is that Americans go there, those are the places they want to go to. They, they want to go to all those places where, where drug lords were ruling. And, and I would say, no, God is doing amazing stuff in, in Medellin, in Bogota. Listen to what God is doing. So you have an opportunity on Friday to come to uh, Libertyville Covenant, and uh, we'll, we'll probably have some nice Colombian food, and we will... Um, we listen to what God is doing so that we can praise God for what is doing, what God is doing um, in society. That's what the book of Acts is all about. We began this um, series on the 9th of June, which seems like a long, long time ago. Um, it was the day of Pentecost, and um, 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 the Lord had risen from the dead, and people were perplexed, and it was 40 days that God, the Lord in, uh, introduced himself, revealed himself. The risen Lord revealed himself to, to people, um, all kinds of people. There were women, there were men, there were 500 people, there were 12 people, there were two people. So in groups, small groups, large groups, uh, the Lord revealed himself and then, and then he was gone. And, and then, of course, 10 days after the day of ascension, the Holy Spirit descended. And um, it seems like the church got new life. And, and of course, there were all kinds of people who became followers of Jesus. Um, but it also came with issues. And we talked about some of those issues. Issues that are found in Acts chapter 4. Issues that are found in Acts chapter 5. Issues that are found with the death of people like Stephen, uh, the disciple of Jesus. Um, issues that are found in this guy called Saul or Paul. What is his name? Who are you? Which one is going to show up? Um, who was doing horrible things to the followers of Jesus. But Jesus revealed himself, the risen Lord revealed himself to, to Paul. And then, of course, last week we talked about how 
Paul and Barnabas were sent out as missionaries. Right in the midst of dissension. Right in the midst of a lot of bad things going on. Today we want to jump into the next phase um, in Acts chapter 15. And then next week, of course, we'll be talking about worship in the garden. And then we begin a new season. And um, my hope is that uh, on Labor Day onwards, we will be talking about what um, I look at as a brokenness inquiry leading to recreation, redemption, restoration, and redeem a life in the Redeemer. A, a walk through the Bible. What does God say about what is redeem a life? And you remember that during uh, um, a part of our series, we talked about redeem a life's mission statement, which is to engage with Lake County and beyond to engage the people of Lake County and beyond with life-transforming encounters with the Redeemer so that they would know life in the Redeemer, Redeemer life. And we talked about the 4D core values of Redeemer life, which I got from the original statement of the small group of people that came together Discover brokenness. That's important for us to see what, what is, what's happening in, in Vernon Hills. Why are people broken? What kind of brokenness is there? So that we, we, we seek to address the issues of people. And then to dream about a community with authenticity in the midst of this brokenness. And the third D is to design missional strategies that will reach out to a broken society. And the fourth D is, where are we heading? To bring about the kingdom of the Redeemer here in Vernon Hills, here on earth. This is Redeemer Life. So we'll begin that series um, beginning with Labor Day Sunday. So, so let's look forward to that. Um, Today, let's jump into Acts chapter 15. So would you arise with me and let's read this, this text together. Acts chapter 15, a very, very significant moment in the history of the early church. So Lord, I pray that as we read this passage, you would speak to our hearts. And as we reflect on this passage, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, our whole being, that we may know what we as individuals and as a congregation of Redeemer Life, how may we be? What may we do in the midst of a broken world? So speak to us, O oh Lord, for we are here to hear your voice, O oh Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's read this together. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Amen. Amen. May God bless the reading and the meditation on his word. You may be seated. So what do you think? What, what comes to your mind? What is, what is, what's a word that comes to your mind looking at the context of Acts chapter 1 through 15 as you read this text? Argument, argument, argumentative people, argument. Is argument good? No, it's never good. Sometimes, okay, sometimes good, sometimes not. Is it, is it good, um, is, is it the nature of the argument? Is it the subject of the argument? Or what makes it good or bad? What do you think? What makes it good? What does your mom say? Does she say... This is a good subject, or does she say this is a bad subject? That is true. Go ahead. Process, oh, depending on the process and the outcome. The argument, okay. Depending on, depending on process, and outcome. Okay. What else comes to your mind in this text? What do you think? Young people? So the basic story, of course, is that there are all these people. They're in a place called Antioch, Illinois. No. 
Antioch way, way there. But you know that Antioch was a joke, right? Last time we talked about it. There was, there was this group of people who are Christians, disciples of Christ, and there were other people, and they say, oh, do you think you're in Antioch? And that's what became the name, name of the place. And Christians were also called Christians as a joke. Christiani, look at those, ha, ha, ha. People who don't have any brains, they're Christiani. So what's new? They were called Christiani then. Christians are called Christiani now. Whether you go to Pakistan, you go to India, you go anywhere. So, they're in Antioch. And there's a group of people that come. They come from Jerusalem. And this group of people that come from Jerusalem, they say, Oh, we know what is this new thing all about. You know, we have studied all of the Torah. We have studied the laws of Moses. And we actually saw Jesus. Did you see Jesus? No, you didn't see Jesus. We saw Jesus. We know stuff that you all don't know. And they wanted to come to them and they wanted to put on them laws that they had learned from these people that are called the the Pharisees. And, and in Hebrew, those are called the halachot. Laws that they had learned, they had practiced. And they say, you've got to become just like us. And we're going to get really personal here, okay? You've got to get circumcised. Now, that's a big thing. You know, in, in Jewish custom, of course, uh, a little boy is circumcised when he is, do you know how old? Eight days old. So the little baby is eight days old. I don't know if you've seen a circumcision ceremony. I have. Quite a number. I've seen rabbis perform circumcision on this little boy that's eight days old. And um, of course the mother and all the women, they go away into another room because it's kind of hard for mothers. And all the men are there with the little baby. And uh, with the with the... Uh, with the rabbi and uncles and cousins and everybody, and they have the circumcision ceremony, and then they give the little babies a little bit of wine, and the baby goes to sleep after that. Well, hopefully the baby goes to sleep. But um, these are not little babies. These are adults. And these people come from Jerusalem, and they say, you want to be Christians? This is how you become Christians. What do you think of that? It is horrible. And, of course, there is Paul and there's Barnabas and there's others that say, What? What? What do you want them to do? Come on. Don't, don't, don't say this. Don't say this. So there is a debate that goes on. There's a debate that goes on. And then they decide, all right, you all came from Jerusalem, right? We're going to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. We're going to send Paul and Barnab Barnabas to Jerusalem so that they find out from the source as to what's the right thing to do. How do you become a good Christian? You see, the church has always been a group of people who've had issues to deal with. 
It's always been a diverse church. It started off with Jewish people, then it went to Samaria, then it goes to the Gentiles, and and the more diverse it becomes, there's Africans added, there's Arabs added. The more diverse it becomes, the more issues you have to engage with, and that's what they had to engage with as they went on. But how do you engage with issues is, is what we want to address today. Is it about race? Is it about theology? Is it about identity? What is it about circumcision? Is it about ritual? Today we'll be participating in, 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 in this ritual ceremony that's called, I'm using the word ritual ceremony in quotes there, if you will, um, called the Lord's Supper. Well, the whole church is divided around the Lord's Supper. Do you know, if you go into a Roman Catholic church, you will not be able to partake of the Holy Communion. Why? Because you're not Roman Catholic. You go into an Orthodox church, you will not be able to partake of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because there is a certain idea of this. I'm going to call it ritual for now, if you will, just like circumcision is a ritual that divides people. We are people who sing only certain kinds of hymns, and we have to sing it seriously. No one smile, because God never smiles. Right? (laughs) We sing serious hymns, because of serious theology. Others say, no, we clap our hands, we jump for joy. And of course, there's one person in our church who says, hallelujah! And, you know, others quite look around and say, should I say that? Should I say that? And I say, no, no, I can't say that. Why? Because I'm not used to saying that. Do you see how? Oh, no, I'm dropping off stuff. I've got to be careful. Um, But we have ways of doing things, and we're stuck in those ways of doing things. When someone does things differently, we don't want to go there. And there is diversity that brings about what what I called desirousness and dissension. and, And people want to be just stuck in their ways. What do we do with human beings? I don't know why are adults like this. Aren't adults like this? You know, we're kind of stuck in our ways. This this is the way of doing it, and that's the only way of doing it. And then, of course, you go to college, you find out different ways of doing it. And you call up your mom and your dad and say, Dad, Mom, you told me about this way of doing things. My professor says about this way of doing things. And there is desirousness there. There is discussion that goes on there. And, of course, Joe says, I don't know why did he say that I send him to college now. Because now he has all these questions. To ask. So look at chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, Some men came from Judea. In in Greek, actually, that word some men is not there. It's somebodies who are somebodies. These are people who are the who is who who come down from Judea. And notice that they come down, you know, geographically they're going up, but really they're coming down because they're high up there. And they want to come down because they want to treat these people as low-down people here. So how do you engage with people who come with the motivation of causing dissension, of causing revolts to take place? 
And they think that they have the answers. Why? Because they are coming from these higher places. And that's kind of a dangerous place to be. So sometimes diversity does bring about desirousness and dissension. How do you deal with this problem? Certain people, certain men, came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers there, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. There's a lot packed in there. Unless you're circumcised. Notice that there's also this idea that people want to use authority figures. You know, for them, um, Moses, we know Moses. And, and there's name dropping that goes on. That's one of the things that happens when you write these papers. You go to college, you've got to do all your research work, and you've got to do a lot of name dropping, okay? And you put it in footnotes, I've read this person, I've read that person. Did you really read that person and that person? When I read papers, I find out probably they didn't, but they have to name drop, and they have to say, I read all these things. You said I wanted to go to the library. I had to go to the library. I've got to have at least 10 sources or 15 sources, and, and I put them down in my footnotes and I, I quote them and look at my paper it's so fascinating and sometimes it's just a cut and paste job and I would say what did you say when it's a cut and paste job but unfortunately people do a lot of cut and paste job and, and so these people are using diversionary tactics by the use of authority figures and in the church, and unfortunately, again, we'll use names like, I am a Calvinist. I am an Armenian. I use this so-and-so, so-and-so source as my authority figure, and we'll name drop all the big professors at Trinity, North Park, Harvard University. The more names we can have of these Karl Barth and all kinds of people, the better we think we are, and that's what these people are doing. They're they're using diversionary tactics by the use of authority figures. Also, look at what they are doing. They're looking, they're, they're, they talk about the custom of Moses. Um, this is one of the issues that I've seen a lot in, in churches in different parts of the world when, when people say, it is not our custom to do this. It is not our custom to worship like this. We talked about some of that. It's not our custom to talk like this or to think like this. And, and, and when, you, when, we, when we go into issues of diversity in the church, unfortunately it's used against people who are in the minority. I've seen, for example... African churches who have been told that the only way to be a good Baptist church in Africa is to be like a good Baptist church in somewhere in Midwest of, of the United States of America. Otherwise, you can't be a good Baptist church. 
Or you can't be a good covenant church in Congo or, or in the Philippines if you're not just like us because that's the way it is in Chicago. I see that also, unfortunately, at universities where students will come from a certain area like the south side of Chicago or whatever it is and people are told, now that you are in our university, you've got to think like us. You can't think like yourself. You've got to wipe out yourself and become like us, talk like us, write like us, worship like us. And that's what these people are saying. And what they're talking about is these laws that the rabbis had come up with. Laws um, that are called the halachot. And those halachot, which means the laws of, 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 of the Pharisees, of, of the Tanaim, which were put together around 200 A.D., that was brought together in a text that's called the Mishnah. And the main rabbi who's responsible for that Mishnah, um, the collection of 400 years of laws that they put together, uh, was Yehuda Hanasi. And then they were added to on, later on, quite a lot of laws were added to that, and that became the Talmud. And that's what these people are referring to here. This is the beginning stages of the collection of the Talmud. They're saying the only way in which you can be Christian is by observing all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that we have brought together. And, and you've got to become like that. You know, unfortunately, yes, we don't do that. We don't do that, but we have our own ethos, isn't it? We have our own identity markers. You've got to behave like that, otherwise you can't be a part of the church. And those people who don't behave like that are on the periphery. They're on the outside. And they would slowly move away. Slowly move away. And then they'll fall off. That's what these people are referring to here as they say the ethos of Moses. You've got, to, you've got to celebrate the Sabbath in one way. The candle should be lit at a certain time in this way. Um, you've got to have circumcision ceremonies and circumcision ceremonies should happen in this way. The, what they fail to realize is that these rituals have meaning. So let's look at some of these. Okay, in, in a, uh, for circumcision, for example, circumcision, you have all kinds of texts that I think they've neglected. Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 10 says this, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So do you notice that? It is circumcision, yes. 
But the circumcision is a sign of the covenant. It's something, it's, it's this pact of, of behaving in a certain way that you should be mindful of. This is just an outward sign of an inward reality. Let's look at some more texts here. There is this often pronouncement that you find in the book of Deuteronomy, for example. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 12 to 16. Here's what it says. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes which I'm commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set this affection to love them. And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is this day, circumcised in your hearts. If you don't circumcise your hearts and live according to what the Bible asks you to do and to be, What's the use of this circumcision ceremony? Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, in all that you may live. And then the prophets will go on to say, and I've chosen just a couple of texts here, Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 4, where the prophet Jeremiah says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 25, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. So what these people are neglecting is a whole lot of teaching in the Bible which talks about the circumcision ceremony. The circumcision ceremony is not just got to be a, a fleshly thing, but it's got to be an inward reality. How does that apply to us? We do have a lot of rituals, isn't it? We come on Sundays, we get up in the morning, and of course young people are woken up by the parents. You've got to come here. We've got to go to church. We've got to go to church. Get ready. Brush your teeth. And, and, and of course we all do the same thing because why? It is our ritual to go to church. It's our ritual to have a worship band there. It's our ritual to have a pastor who goes on and on about certain texts that he has prepared on. We, we have this ritual of, of having prayer maybe once a month. We have this ritual of having the Lord's Supper once a month. And some people will say, no, it should be every day. Others will say once a week. And others will say once a month. And others will say once a year. And then we have this thing called baptism where, 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 I, where someone will come to the pastor and say, I want to be baptized. Why? Because I just want to be baptized. That's what the Lord said. And so I'll follow that. I I want to be baptized. So we have a lot of these kinds of ceremonies, right? What is the meaning of that? What does it mean to partake of the Lord's Supper? Is it just a ritual? Or does it mean something inwardly 
where I say, Lord, I'm partaking of your body and your blood. And in doing so, I am partaking of your body and your blood. In doing so, I am saying that I want to suffer just like you suffered. I'm ready to die for you, Lord, just like you died for me. I'm ready to suffer for humanity just like you suffered for humanity. When I partake of the baptism ceremony, is just merely a ritual or saying, I am dying to my old self. It's no longer I that lives. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the risen Lord who died for me and rose for me. And I remind myself every day of that. What does it mean to be a Christian? Is it merely rituals? Or is it more than rituals? These people forgot that. These people forgot that. And I think we need to learn from that and say we shouldn't forget the inner meaning of what we do as outer symbols. Reading the Bible, what does it mean every day? Is it just an intellectual thing. My parents told me I've got to read the Bible, a chapter a day or a verse a day, whatever it is. But how is that changing me when I encounter the text of the Bible? Do I encounter the Lord of the Bible? Is the question that we must ask ourselves. These people also had another problem, and that was the problem of bringing in a destructive doctrine of salvation where the ritual itself becomes a salvation. The ritual is not salvation. The Bible makes that very clear over and over again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, I resolve, says Paul, to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And over and over again, the book of Acts, we'll find, for example, Peter and John going before the Sanhedrin and saying, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. It's not in the ritual, but it's in Christ. And so I love that song written by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend, um, and I'm sure we have sung that song at some point. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is the light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, the solid ground, firms through the fierce, estrouting storm. Why heights of love, why deaths of peace. When fears are still, when chopping cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ the Lord who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless made, his gift of love and righteousness, corned by the ones he came to save. Until that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the debt of Christ I am, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again,
And as he stands in victory, since curse, death's curse, for I am his, and he is mine in Christ alone. And that should be the central focus of our life. It's not in doctrine, it's not in ritual, but it's in Christ. In Christ alone. So yes, we do have rituals. Yes, we do have doctrine. But sometimes the peripheral can become the essential. And whenever that happens, that's not good. Look at what they do, the solution, very quickly. I'm not going to go into details here. First of all, they engage in debate. Is debate a good thing? I think it is. Because it shouldn't be one person saying stuff. Problems happen when there's one person who determines what a church believes. There should be debate. There should be discussion. There should be dialogues. And then we need to go to the source of where it was formed. I think constantly Redeemer Life needs to get back to the mission statement. Why was Redeemer Life formed? Why? What am I doing about it? And then we need to probably even take detours. Notice they took detours. They, you know, I, I take students to, to Colombia, to South Africa. Why? Because they need to learn what is happening here. When we go elsewhere, with clarity, we are able to think through our issues. I'm sure you saw that when you went to Vietnam. We step out. We see with clarity the issues. We come back. Redeem our life. Step out of the home. Step into the home. Aha. And then what do they do? They come and bring a praise report. You always start with praising God. Whenever there's problems, start with praising God. And then you're able to see what God has done in our lives, even the people that I disagree with. I start with praise. Then I get down to the issues and listen to voices, diverse voices. There's the voice of Peter. You know, he's the guy that denied Jesus. You want to listen to a guy like that? But they listen to Peter. They listen to Paul. This is the guy that killed people. They listen to Paul. They listen to Barnabas. He's the quiet fellow. When Peter, Paul got angry, he was always angry. It's okay to have angry people. When Paul got angry, Barnabas will say, quieten down, guy. Come on, take a chill pill. Take a chill pill, quieten down a little bit. And he says, a marked fellow, no, I'm not going to let him come. Why? Because of... But there's people like that. We need to listen to everybody. And then there's Simeon, the African leader. Listen to African wisdom. There's James, the brother of Jesus. The word James actually means Yaakov. He's the deceptive one. So listen to people. Listen to all kinds of people. And when we listen to all kinds of people, then we go 
and dwell on the Bible, adhere to the basics. There's three things they say, and I'm going to end with this, okay? Three things they say, and these three things are desist idolatry, desist idolatry, desist idolatry. I know it says in different terms there, but essentially it is don't get into all these religions because what they do is bad things to you all. Desist idolatry, desist idolatry, desist idolatry, and then adhere to the basics. And those are found in the five solas of the Reformation. What are they? Sola gracia, we are saved by grace alone. In Latin again, it's sola fide, it's by our faith. We just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Solus Christus, it's only in Christ. And that's okay. The exclusivity of the gospel is very crucial in the Bible. It's only in Christ that we can find salvation. Schola Scriptura, scriptures alone, not tradition, not the laws of the Pharisees, not our tradition, but in scriptures alone. And then soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone.